Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Bonnie Zhang, a Chinese American communications manager based in Hong Kong. Born and raised in Presque Isle, Maine, Bonnie has lived and worked in Boston and San Francisco before moving to Asia. She talks to us about being one of the few Asians in Maine and finding her roots in Asia. Welcome to Proudly Asian, Bonnie. It's great to have you with us at the studio. Thank you so much for having me, Isabel. Now, before we kickstart the conversation, I'm going to ask you one question that I ask every single guest of mine who comes on Proudly Asian, which is tell us about your background. Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up? Yeah, so I'm Bonnie. I grew up in the U.S., so I was born and raised in a very small town in northern Maine. And I spent the majority of my life there until I was 17. Uh, and then I moved to Boston for school, was there for four years, and I got my first job out in San Francisco in tech PR. So I was there for five years before making the move to Hong Kong last year. Tell us a little bit more about Maine, because I know that not everyone knows about Maine. And um, I think you're pretty much the first person from Maine that I've met. <laughs> yeah, I would say even in the US, in San Francisco, a lot of people never uh, know anyone from Maine. And they're very surprised that I'm from Maine since I'm Asian, like that's even more rare. Uh, so I would describe my town as very classic small town America. So it's a type of place where we had one elementary school, one middle school and one high school. So the group of people that you go to school with from when you're five years old, you know them your whole life. Um, so you're there from like five years old to 17. Uh, we definitely had some uh, interesting town traditions. So we had something called harvest break. So we got three weeks off of school every year to pick potatoes. Um, yeah, it's also very secluded. So if you want to go to a Starbucks or a Target, you have to drive three hours. Then, you know, how many shops are there in the neighborhoods that you lived in? There were a few. There was kind of like a downtown where it was just one street with a few shops. And uh, we did have a very small mall, but it was JCPenney, Kmart, Sears. When Maine is mentioned, I mean, I know not much about the place, but the only thing that I ever think about is lobster. Do you get that a lot? <laughs> I do. And that is a very nice part of Maine. It's in Portland. So... It's kind of on the coast. Where I'm from, it's mostly potato fields. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of nowhere, Maine. So we do get lobsters, but it's not the, I think, the nice scenic Maine that people usually think about. So instead of like Maine lobster, you used to get more Maine potatoes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I see. And you mentioned that in Maine, you were one of the very few Asians in town. So what was the diversity like in Maine? And, and what was it like for you growing up as a Chinese American kid in a small town? Yeah, so I actually looked up the demographics for you. It's 95% Caucasian in my town. Um, my family was one of the only Asian families and my mom had a Chinese restaurant. So and it was a 
one of the only ones. So I think it was definitely a very interesting upbringing um, because I knew that, you know, I was not the same as everyone else. But at the same time, because there were no other Asians around me, I didn't really know what to make of that. You know, there weren't other older role models to look up to. There wasn't really representation in the media. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of identity, that took a long time for me to really think about it. And the first time I really met other Asians was when I went to school in Boston. So you mentioned um, your mom owned um, a Chinese restaurant. So does that make you a second gen or third gen? You know, what was the um, immigrant story for your family? Yeah, so my parents are from mainland China. Um, So they moved here in their 20s and they actually decided to go to Maine. I know a lot of people ask why Maine, Um, because there was no competition. Like there's no other, you know, Chinese families having Chinese restaurants. So, for example, if you open a restaurant in San Francisco or Boston, of course, there's a lot of competition. So I think that's why they chose somewhere so rural. And also it's a very safe place. You know, growing up, they would just let us run in the mall and it would be okay because everyone knows each other like we've known each other since we were kids a lot of people's parents and grandparents had grown up in that town and a lot of people never left so it was a very safe place what you just mentioned there it just seems like that town that you grew up in was like a tight-knit community right but did racism towards asian exist yeah definitely i think it's important to kind of think about bullying and then just ignorance because there definitely were comments made to me and questions that people asked me growing up that looking back I realize is really messed up but I think at that time they didn't really know any better because like I said there weren't other Asians and I think a lot of it just came out of curiosity and at the same time looking back I do wish I had witty responses where I could kind of educate people But I also didn't know how to respond because I didn't grow up with other Asians. And yeah, a lot of things were also jarring to me when they said it to me. And I didn't really know what to make of it. So there was, I think there was racism, but it was a little bit more complicated. And because we weren't around a lot of diversity, I can't really blame people for it. And um, would you recall, you know, what were some of the um, not so nice comments that you got at school? And were you pretty much the only Asian kid or were there any other Asians around? Yeah, so I was one of the only ones. I remember in second or third grade, there was a new kid. Um, He was Chinese and he walked in the classroom. And when he walked in, I would say like four or five of my classmates looked at me and asked me two questions. Either, is he your cousin? Or are you going to date him? Oh my God. Because they had never seen another Asian before. So, I mean, obviously as a kid, I was like, um, no. But also, I don't know, maybe because I've never seen another Asian either. Did you feel angry or were you just like, uh, yeah, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, I think it was mostly confusion. I mean, I think I was kind of excited there was another Asian, but then I was like, wait, if I'm friends with him, then people are going to think we're dating and I don't want them to think we're dating because we're Asian. You know, you're kind of feeling like I need to um, kind of carry like what it means to be Asian. Like I'm the only representation. So I think that was kind of confusing. And during your school years, right, um, have you ever gone through the phase of like, 
where you were like, oh, actually my Chinese American identity would put me in some sort of disadvantage and I would like to actively hide that. Because I think for some of my previous guests, some of them, they would be like, oh, I hate it's my Asian identity and I just wanted to do something that would make me appear more white. You know, some of them said that. So that would make it a bit easier for them to make friends or like blend in. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, I think I did put a lot of pressure on myself to represent my race, which is kind of crazy. I was like 12. But um, I did do like typical Asian things. I was on the math team, but I was also a cheerleader and I was also emo and I was also an artist. So I did a lot of things. Um, But yeah, I think being a cheerleader was something that sometimes people would ask me like, oh, like, why aren't you just like doing math or like, yeah. Back to the Chinese restaurant that your family owned. Um, did you ever like help out at the restaurant? And um, how would people react to Chinese foods? Because you mentioned your town, there was barely any Chinese. So was it you know something new to them, or did they react a bit negatively? Um, I would say the type. Just to clarify, the type of food that my mom had at the restaurant is kind of Chinese American. Mm-hmm. So imagine like fried rice, lo mein. It's very American. Orange chicken. Yes, orange chicken, sesame chicken. So it's not dim sum. I think that would be that would have been too much for my town. I don't think that would have um, appealed to a lot of people. So it was, you know, not very foreign. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's more like westernized Chinese food. Yeah, exactly. I see. And did you ever come across any rude customers? I definitely had comments made like, oh, your English is really good when I was working there. And how do I respond to that? I'm like 14. So I say thank you so much. And in terms of your language, obviously you speak English, um, but do you speak any other like Asian languages? I grew up speaking Cantonese. So my grandmother raised me and she could only speak Cantonese. She raised me until I was 10 years old. But when I went to preschool around four or five, and I went into school, I actually didn't know any English. So they told my mom to only speak English with me. So, because, you know, their understanding was that if I focus on English, then I would get better at it. So I did lose a lot of Cantonese because my mom kind of followed that. Now, when you think about it, do you wish that you continued developing your Cantonese skills or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's part of the reason I moved to Hong Kong right. to, to practice. But yeah, I think when you're not around a lot of people who speak that language. So, for example, in a lot of cities in the U.S., there are Chinese schools, but we didn't have one because there's no Chinese population. True. Um, So there wasn't really an opportunity for me to learn formally. Before you moved to Hong Kong, I know obviously you spent uh, quite a few years working in San Francisco and you were also very active in the sense of advocating for the AAPI community. Tell us how you feel, you know, like over the past few years, especially after the pandemic happened, there have been definitely a focus on anti-Asian crimes in the U.S. How does that make you feel? And tell us more about the work that you did in San Francisco. I would say it was very confusing time. I think it was very sad and shocking, mostly because a lot of the people who were getting attacked, it was the elderly population um, and they're the most vulnerable. So when that started happening and I was living in San Francisco, it definitely did bring up some things in the past because I, I'd i seen it growing up and I almost thought moving to a big city that's as diverse as San Francisco, like I wouldn't see it anymore. But a lot of the racial issues in the U.S., it's very complicated, it's very systemic. Um, so in terms of how it affected me, I was very on edge. 
Uh, definitely worried about my grandparents, as a lot of my friends were, because I remember calling my grandma and telling her to stay inside, not just because of COVID, but because I didn't want her to get attacked. So it's definitely just a lot of stress and worry. And um, yeah, it was definitely a very stressful time and confusing time for a lot of Asian Americans. Um, but yeah, since the pandemic began, there had been a spike in hate crimes against Asian Americans. And there was in 2021, a shooting in Atlanta, where eight people were killed and six of those people were Asian Americans. And that prompted a really strong response from the Asian American community. And during that time, I was able to work with an organization called LAUNCH. So it stands for Leading Asian Americans to Unite for Change. And what they did was they put out a survey um, that was really analyzing American perceptions of Asian Americans and trying to kind of figure out the root cause of racism and discrimination and kind of why this was happening right now. Um, so what they did was they asked 3,000 American adults to name a prominent Asian American. And the most common answer at 42% was, I don't know. Wow. And the next um, answer was Jackie Chan. Oh, dear. Who is not American. <laughs> So I think that was really shocking. And uh, that's something that media really picked up on because, you know, that makes a lot of sense as to why there was a lot of um, hate because there's just no awareness. Like people weren't seeing agents in the media or, or represented anywhere. So um, if you don't know something, like you may fear it. That's definitely very um, telling. But two to three years have passed. Do you think the situation has improved? Or, you know, have you been talking to your friends who are Asian Americans? You know, do they think there's some progress made. Yeah, I think that's hard since I haven't been there. I kind of escaped that. But um, there's definitely, ever since then, there still have been incidences that have happened on New York subway or in San Francisco. So it's very disheartening to see it continuing. But I think now there is a lot more awareness and people are really pushing to use their voice and try to make this problem better because yeah, I think it's something that's always going to be there, but there's always going to be people and now even more allies and advocates that are trying to do something about it. There are still a lot of like systemic problems that exist in America and in elsewhere, but I really hope that if we got any positive um, things out of the pandemic at all, it's the increased awareness about um, the diversity and different ethnic communities that exist in America and elsewhere. But now I would like to talk a little bit more about, you know, your decision moving to Hong Kong. Because you were working in San Francisco before you moved to Hong Kong, but then you made this bold move um, during the pandemic to move to Hong Kong. Like, why? What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it did stem from the fact that I was from the middle of nowhere and I'd spent 17 years there and I knew that there was a lot of the world that I hadn't seen. So when I first went to Boston for school, I did study abroad twice. So I went to London and I got to see more of Europe. And I went to Sydney and I got to see Australia and New Zealand. And I just fell in love with traveling. And I always wanted to do something a little bit more challenging. And Hong Kong just kind of felt like the perfect place because uh, I did have kind of like roots there. I wanted to pick up Cantonese again. I was able to work in English. Uh, but still practice Cantonese on the side. And it was a very vibrant city for me in some place that I felt would be challenging, but would still kind of feel like home. 
So you arrived in Hong Kong. It was in the middle of a whole pandemic, and I imagine the first thing that you experienced in Hong Kong was hotel quarantine. So when you first arrived in Hong Kong, how did you feel? Like, did that live up to you know your expectations? Yeah, it's interesting because when I first moved to Hong Kong, I think it was at one case a day for COVID, whereas in the U.S. it was increasing a lot. Um, so things definitely changed when I got here. But in terms of Hong Kong itself, I loved it. I fell in love right when I landed. Um, it was a lot of culture shock. Like I experienced culture shock every single day. I don't think I had too much expectation in terms of what it would be like. I knew it was a busy place. I knew it was very um, vibrant and bustling, and there were. You know, a lot of expats, but also a lot of culture. But I didn't know there was so much access to nature, or that there was so many beaches and hikes. And yeah, I really fell in love with it. And how many days of hotel quarantine did you go through? <laughs> I went through fourteen. I would say that experience wasn't too bad because I was very excited, and I guess it was a very novel thing to go through. And it's something I thought I would only do once. Um, I would say fourteen is a little extreme. I think seven is okay, but after that, it kind of goes downhill. I see. I see. So, like during those fourteen days, um, what did you do? Were you like researching for like places that you could potentially visit once you get out, or were you like, oh my god, I'm like um, staying in one of these like skyscrapers? Because a lot of my expat friends, they were like, oh, the idea of like moving to Hong Kong would be like. One of those Hollywood movies. Whenever they show Hong Kong, even though the shot is not really shot in Hong Kong, they would be like, "Oh, it's this place where you know there's incredible skyline, full of skyscrapers." Did you think about those things? Yeah, when I was in hotel quarantine, I was creating a massive bucket list of everything I wanted to do in Hong Kong. So all the food I wanted to eat, um, all the places I wanted to hike and go visit, and yeah, I think the skyscrapers is definitely. The biggest thing I thought about Hong Kong and like egg tarts <laughs> and pastries, <laughs> yeah. like that, that was really top of mind for me. But yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And you mentioned earlier that after you landed, there were like cultural shocks here and there. But so far, have you been finding it easy to fit in culturally? Because, I mean, how would I describe that? It's like you look similar to the people in Hong Kong, but. You are completely educated differently, cultural influence-wise. So, was it easy for you to fit in culturally and explain what you are to the people around? It was, and it wasn't. So, I think there's definitely some things growing up that I connected with about Hong Kong. So, you know, a lot of the food, a lot of the holidays and traditions. But you know, it's also diff- a very different experience than someone who grew up here locally. Just in terms of values and their life experience, and you know what they prioritize. For example, people who usually grow up here live with their parents until they get married, whereas in the U.S., once you're in college, like you're <laughs> yeah. out at 17 or 18. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some aspects I really connected with, but I would say there's still differences, and I love. Learning about that from people who are here, you know, other than checking off your bucket list of places that you want to check out in the city, one of your missions or like one thing that's on your agenda when you came to Hong Kong was to maybe meet up with some relatives that you've never met or like people that your grandparents ask you to meet. Like, how's that going for you? Yeah, so it's a funny story. When I came here, my grandpa told me to meet up with a relative, and he gave me his number. And not much context or name, so I called him 
um, around Chinese New Year and asked him to meet up and he hung up on me. <laughs> and I found out the reason why from my friend. So my friend Daniel actually ended up calling him and saying, hey, this is actually your relative. She's from America. She wants to meet with you. And he told me that in Hong Kong, there's a lot of scams around that time where people will call you pretending to be a relative and ask for money. And that's why he hung up on me. <laughs> but I did meet up with him. It was lovely. And yeah, so I think that was great. Obviously, you moving to Hong Kong, it was partly driven by your desire to be closer to your heritage. And, you know, through meeting your relatives, do you think you fulfilled that? Or how did you feel? Were you spotting more differences between you and your relatives? Or did you feel like you were a lot more connected to this distant part of your family history? Yeah, I think there's a lot of stories you hear about maybe Asian Americans going back to the motherland and really feeling like everything clicks and this is where I belong and feeling that sense of like completeness almost. I think for me, there definitely were things that I really resonated with, but there was also part of me that realized I am more American than I thought. And so you're kind of in this weird limbo where you're, you know, too Asian for America, but to American for Asia. And I know there are a group of people who feel this way, so that's comforting in a way. But I guess I get you guess that you also get the best of both cultures, which is really amazing if you look at it in that way. And how does your family feel about you being in Hong Kong? Like have they been like, oh I'm so proud of you that you're closer to our heritage or have you been like, what are you doing in Asia? Come back already. <laughs> yeah, so when I told my mom she she wasn't super happy about me coming here because she immigrated from China, you know, to go to America and have a better life. So for her, it was like, why are you going back to China? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's also being able to communicate with her and realizing that our ideas of success and happiness are different. And I wanted this experience for myself. I think she really enjoys her life in America and she really wants to stay there. She doesn't really feel a need to come back as much, but yeah, I knew that I wanted to live abroad before, you know, I go back eventually. Is she proud of your improved Cantonese skills, though? <laughs> I don't know if I improved. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's proud that I'm trying. <laughs> but, um, I mean, obviously, you moved to Hong Kong. Part of the reasons is that you also want to travel around Asia, right? I mean, you, you moved here in the middle of the pandemic, which made your plan a little bit more challenging. But have you been able to travel around Asia since restrictions have been relaxed a little bit? And how's that going for you? Yeah, so when I first came here, obviously, we're in a lockdown for a year, which I actually am grateful for because I got to see a lot of Hong Kong that I don't think I would have had the time or interest in if I wasn't stuck here. But yes, so over the summer, I did live in Thailand for a couple of months. And then I recently just did a solo trip to Korea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's been amazing because I've never traveled too much of Asia before this, which is also why I wanted to come here. Yeah, but I loved doing Thailand and Korea, and I definitely want to do more in the next year. And you traveled to Korea solo, is that right? Yes, I did. And was it hard for you? <laughs> um, I would say if you're traveling with a group of friends, it's very... Um, fun adventure but when you're traveling alone it's almost like a spiritual like mm. journey because you have your normal day-to-day -day when you're at home 
and you have your routine. But when you are by yourself in another country with nothing but your thoughts and like spare time, I think you really think about, you know, your life and your day to day and kind of like what your routine looks like. And you think a lot about, you know, all the different paths in life that you can take. So for me, whenever I travel, I have an existential crisis because <laughs> it's just there's so many different lives that you can lead. And I feel like that weighs very heavily when you're in a new place, especially by yourself. Yeah. So now you're in Asia. You've been traveling around, and you have seen, you know, a lot of different things, met a lot of different people that you never really got the chance to meet when you're back in America. And I know for a lot of American expats who left the U.S., they would always say something like, you know, before you even got the chance to leave your home country, which would be America, they would think America was. The whole world, but once they left the country, they would be like, "Oh wow, that realization of there being a whole world outside America." Like, did you ever feel that? Yeah, definitely. I think when you're in America, it is very easy to think that you're in the center of the world, and for a lot of people, they don't really end up leaving because it's huge. So if you want to travel from California to New York, it's like a six-hour flight, whereas if you do that here, you're just Doing different countries, so it is easy to not leave.、Um, but yeah, I think I haven't met too many American expats while I'm in Hong Kong. But I think having that perspective out here, you do realize like there are so many different people with different stories and walks of life, and it's very worth going out of you know your bubble to learn that. It's not always easy, but definitely. You know, do it if you had the experience or if you had the opportunity.、Mm -hmm. And would your friends、um, also question your decision about moving to Asia? Say,、so, hey, like, what are you doing in Asia? Like, America is the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's some friends who would like to do this, um, and then some who would like to visit, but maybe not commit in this way, uh. Yeah, here's a question. Like you, you could choose to answer or not. After Asia, what's your plan? You know, where do you see yourself? You know, with this Asia experience, how would that inform maybe your eventual planning for the rest of your life? <laughs> wow. Well, I think that part of the reason I was able to come out here is because I never have lived somewhere that I feel like is home and that I want to settle down. And I don't think that really changed coming out here. I think I realized more so that there's a lot of different places that I could live and that I could be happy in. Like I love living in Asia. There's a, a lot of things that I really like drive with, but I also do miss some aspects of the U.S. So I think it, it just kind of taught me that I'm very open to wherever life leads me. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people who left their home country or their hometown to live elsewhere, they would be like, "Oh, there's this newfound appreciation for where they originally came from." But also, like, it opened their eyes, and then it helped them become more open-minded about like wherever they're gonna be in the next stage of their life. So that's nice. But now, I would like to move on to the next segment, which is rapid bias. In this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they've got asked at some point in life. So, Bonnie, are you ready? Yes. All right, let's go. There's another Asian in town. Are you related? Yeah. So I know I already shared that that did happen to me,、um, and I was very confused about how to answer that. But no, I am not related to every other Asian that you see. 
You are the token Asian in town. What will your identity be if you move to a place with other Asians? Someone did ask me this when I was in high school, and I was about to move to Boston because my identity had been the Asian.、Um, so, I guess like I do have more of a personality than being Asian. <laughs> and your white friends growing up would say, "I forgot you were Asian." I think this is one of those examples where they were trying to say, "Oh, I forgot you were different." So it's almost like that comment of, "Oh, I don't see color,"、um, but that's very problematic, and you should see color. Yeah, and some of these white friends normally would say that,、um, thinking that it's a compliment for their Asian friends. Exactly. <laughs> so, am I supposed to say thank you? <laughs> and next up, do you eat Chinese food every day?、Um, my parents did have a Chinese restaurant, but no, I do also eat burgers like you. <laughs> All right. Thank you for answering all these questions in this segment of Rapid Bias, Bonnie. Now,、um, to wrap up the episode, I know that、um, you previously mentioned you have been trying hard to improve your Cantonese skills. I just want to know. Did you learn any interesting phrases that you never knew existed when you were back in Maine? I think there's a lot of slang that's very fun. So one word I learned is "chur," which means intense. So you can describe it as a very chur person, or I had a very chur day.、Um, but yeah, I use that word every day. So can can it be used as a verb? Like I'm going to chur. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Okay, listeners,、um, you you can answer our question in the comment section <laughs> or email us on how to use chur properly. <laughs> But、um, finally, what does it mean to be proudly Asian American to you, Bonnie?、Mm. I think having been here for a year, I did realize that Asian American identity and even Asian identity is a lot more complex than I realized.、Um, But I think for me, being proudly Asian American is Really appreciating the sacrifices that your family made to move to America and give you better opportunities, and on a personal level, it's being open to sharing your heritage and your culture for those who are willing to listen, because that's really how you make people understand. Yeah, and definitely the responsibility for the newer generation is like while we have a voice, we should really speak out, which is very important. And it's very inspiring to see so many people from our generation of Asians doing what they do best to celebrate their identities. But thank you so much for joining us on Proudly Asian Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly dot Asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Leave us a five star review on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong. Just, just, just.